personally, our family, but also the, the support we receive um, towards the camp. Um, there is a uh, group going to come out uh, in May, May 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th with Kent Huey um, to come and, and to work. Every year Kent brings a group beginning in May. Um, this year we, we hope to uh, be in the ground or, or have broken ground on a new um, staff duplex. Um, it's very possible, though, if you come prepared to work on that, you might not. It's possible the ground may not be ready. It's possible we might not be ready. But we will for sure... Are we good? I like the first service because it's kind of like a test run. You know, the second service you get like a do-over. Um, but uh, anyway, um, we will be uh, <coughs> working... Uh, hopefully building that duplex this summer and fall. So you, you may say, well, you know, I can't come in May. But boy, I could give a few days. We could have you then, too, because this project's going to be going on probably into December or, or further. And so um, whenever you have time, uh, we, can, we can use you. Now, also, Randy uh, Carlberg brings a team for, uh, to help staff camp for one week of our camp, our primary campers, the third and fourth graders. Um, and there's great ministry opportunities. Uh, if you feel uh, God leading you to serve in that way, uh, please let Randy know. We have um, staff applications with us today. We can get you a staff application, so um, don't let that get in your way. We'd love to have you. Um, <clears throat> last night, we had a, uh, our very first fundraiser banquet uh, in the history of Tenillion Bible Camp. Tenillion Bible Camp has been uh, in existence for 50 years. This year we're celebrating 50 years. Banquet, And last night we had a celebration, a 50-year anniversary celebration, fundraiser banquet, and um, it was very, very well attended. We had it here um, at this uh, facility, not in the gym here, but uh, over in the chapel area. And uh, it, was, it was fantastic, well attended, and... Um, I feel like people really got a good feel for the ministry of Tenillion Bible Camp and where we're headed. Um, so, love to answer any questions you may have about it. Uh, and those who have served at camp, you can talk to them. But um, now we really should get to the Word of God. This is really my passion. Um, is this lapel mic not working? Is that what was the issue? I just need to know if I can wander or not, because I'm kind of a wanderer. Um, but that's okay. I will stay here if I have to. Um, we're going to be in, in Luke chapter 9 this morning, Luke chapter 9, as we look at a glimpse of glory. Um, and I want to read the, just the, the beginning of verse uh, 20, uh, what is that, 28? Luke 9, 28. It says, now about eight days after these sayings. You think, okay, after eight days, out of after what sayings? What's going on? Now, I don't know about you, but I like to be a guy like, when I start reading a passage, I want to kind of know where we're at, what's going on, what's taking place. And I don't know about you, but I, and maybe I'm the only one that does this, but when I read scripture, I try to picture it out like a video playing in my mind. Do you do that, or am I the only, am I the only weird one? Um, I, I like to do that, and I like to to try to figure out just kind of what, the, uh, what people were feeling, what was going on, try to, try to get into the heads and the personalities of the players. 
And so Jesus is here with his disciples in this scene. It's roughly six months before the cross. And Luke chapter 9 is a real pivotal chapter in the book of Luke. Up to this point, Jesus' ministry has been primarily uh, to the crowds, uh, healing people, healing the public. Um, and he is about to take a shift in his ministry. Uh, he knows he's about six months away from the cross. And he's about to take a shift in his ministry to focusing more on his disciples. He wants to uh, train them and nurture them. He knows he's just about ready to leave. And he's going to leave this whole thing called the church to them. And so he takes them, just before this, he takes them to Caesarea Philippi. If you know your geography um, in the land of Israel, Caesarea Philippi is north of Galilee. And for the most part, Jewish people don't go there. And so Jesus took his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi for the purpose of getting alone with them. He wanted some alone time with just the twelve. And so he takes them to Caesarea Philippi. And when Sharon and I were in Israel, we got to go to Caesarea Philippi. And it was amazing. Um, we went to the place that most likely Jesus was at teaching his disciples in the passage right before this. And it's important we know what happens right before this. So we really get a, gr a grasp of what's taking place in this passage. So indulge me just a little bit as we review so Jesus takes his, his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and he asks them two questions. He says, who do men say that I am? You know, in other words, he's saying, what's the word in the hood on me? What's going on? What are you hearing at the, in the streets? What's, what do you, what, what's going on? What do you hear about me? And, of course, he gets the various responses. He hears that, well, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're one of the prophets which he knew all of that. Um, Herod had been hearing the same thing. He'd been hearing about Jesus, and he'd heard that he believed that maybe it was John the Baptist come back from the dead, and Herod was a little scared of Jesus. Because if he really was John the Baptist come back from the dead, remember Herod beheaded John the Baptist. You know, and that would be a little freaky thing. And so Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? Now remember, they're at Caesarea Philippi. At Caesarea Philippi, all kinds of... Uh, uh, horrible pagan worship took place at Caesarea Philippi. This is where the place they had a temple where they would actually offer up their children to the gods. They would throw them in this pit and uh, they would watch the stream down a little ways and see if, if blood came out that stream. They believed that the gods didn't accept the sacrifice so they'd have to throw another sacrifice in. It was just a hideous place. It was the seat of pagan worship at that time. So Jesus takes his disciples right there, and he says to them, who do men say that I am? And they tell him these answers, and then he, he turns the question on them, he says, but who do you say that I am? Now, isn't that the question we all have to answer? In this lifetime, don't we all have to come to, to an answer on that question? I'm an interactive pastor. I'm an interactive preacher, so when I ask a question, I do like responses, right? So don't we all have to answer that question sometime in our life? Who do, who do men say that I am? Who, who do you say that I am? Our eternal life really hinges on that, how we answer that question, isn't it? So Peter pipes up and he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And remember Jesus says, that's right. 
He said, the Holy Spirit has revealed that to you. And then later on, right after that, he, he begins to explain to them, now here's the plan. Now that you know who I am, here's the plan. The plan is, we're going to go to Jerusalem. It's going to take us a while to get there, but we're going to go to Jerusalem. When we get there, the Son of Man, me, is going to be handed over uh, into the hands of sinful men. And they're going to crucify me, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. Remember what Peter did? you got to love Peter. He brings Jesus aside. He pulls him aside and says, uh, I just want you to know that under my watch, this is not happening. That's not going to happen. Remember what Jesus said to him? He said, get behind me, Satan. Right? See, Peter and the rest of the disciples were not on board with the plan of God. They had their own agenda. They had their own plan. And their plan was for Jesus to go march triumphantly into Jerusalem to drive out the Romans and to establish Israel as a nation again. Oh, and by the way, they would have very prominent positions in his kingdom. Right? That was their plan. And this is what there was going on. Now Luke says it was eight days after that. Eight days after that, that Jesus then takes three of them. Let's read the text. Now that we're, taught, now that we're caught up and we're kind of in the scene, uh, it says, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him... Uh, Peter and John and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And, he was, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. A couple of miracles here. One, that the apostles didn't tell anybody about this. That's miraculous. But that Jesus was transfigured before them. This is, I know, a familiar passage. And so as we look at this passage, the first thing we want to see, is this working up here? All right. Um, we, we see the invitation. We see the invitation. Jesus takes with him just Peter, James, and John, right? The inner three. When we look at Jesus, he had many, many disciples, did he not? He had, he had hundreds of disciples, people that would come and follow him for a little while, learn from him. A disciple was just a learner. Out of those disciples, he picked 12 Twelve that, he, that became apostles, the ones that, that he had handpicked to disciple, to teach more diligently, those were going to be the leaders. And among the twelve, there were three that he, that he handpicked to, to be closer to him. Three that he was going to really pour into. Three that were going to be the leadership of the apostles. And out of those three, remember there was one is said about him is he's the one that Jesus loved. And so even in Jesus 
um, inner circle. There was one special one, but there's these three. And now these three get, it, get to be part of this moment, this happening. What, what other two things do these three experience that the others don't? Okay, I'm deaf too, flying so many years and working around hangars and stuff. So, what are the thing, What are the two things that they that they get to get, be a part of? Okay, I'm sorry. Transfiguration. Transfiguration. Yes, that was one of them. What's the other two things that they got to be a part of? Gethsemane. That's right. They got to to be with Jesus uh, on the on the. Um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he prayed the night before, uh, the night that he was arrested. Uh, the other part, the other thing that they were a part of was, remember, the raising of Jairus' daughter. Remember, he, he just took James, uh, Peter, and John with him into the house. The other disciples, I don't know if they were out just doing crowd control, or if they were yanking people, all the, the professional mourners out of the house, or what. But Jesus took just Peter, James, and John with him to the raising of Jairus' daughter, um, and then also on the, on the, in, the, in the garden, he took them aside. Um, and the question I have is, why those three? Why not anybody else? Why not all 12? Why not all 500 or 1,000 that followed him? Why weren't they part of this? Why just these three? I have just a few possible reasons for you. First of all, I think it's because, um, because of their natural leadership among the 12. You know, in a group of people, there are some that are just rise up that are natural leaders. And they can't help themselves. That's just the way they are. You get a group of people, and, and you put them in a room, and you give them a task, and the natural leaders will just, they'll just, they'll just arise. And they, they can't help themselves. That's the way they're gifted. I think Peter, James, and John were that way. If you look at them, Peter was the one that said, hey, you know, if it's really you, tell me to come out to you, right? And Peter, what does he do? He gets out of the boat, starts walking on the water. That's leadership, right? Everywhere they went, Peter seemed to take the reins, and he was the leader. Remember James and John. Remember when Jesus was going to go through Samaria, and the Samaritans said, no, no, we don't want that guy coming through here. Remember James and John said, hey, should we call down fire from heaven and smite them? You know, and, and that's leadership. May not be good leadership, but it's leadership. Anyway, it's, it's in the heart. And so I think it's because they were natural leaders. Um, secondly, I think it's because uh, of their intimacy with Jesus. These were the ones who were the closest to him. These were the ones that, that were probably, when he sat down, they were right there. And um, remember, it was, it was Peter um, and James uh, Peter and John that, that Jesus sent into Jerusalem to prepare for the Passover, the last Passover. And so um, there, was, there was some natural leadership there. They were the ones that were most intimate with the Lord Jesus. But also, um, uh, they would be reliable witnesses. Now, I'm not getting the... Oh, should we not have been, okay. They'd be reliable witnesses. Um, and uh, we know in Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 16, it says that uh, one witness is not enough to uh, convict a man accused of any crime or offense. He may, have, uh, he, have, he may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This is Jewish law. So Jesus knows that in order for something to really be considered fact among the Jewish community, it needs to be witnessed by at least two or three. 
And, uh, and so he definitely wanted to have two or three there as witnesses to this event. And so we know that later on, um, James and John, or John and Peter write about this incident. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, you guys read it this morning, it said, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now what does John say? We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When John was writing this, could he be remembering when he saw the Shekinah glory of God revealed in the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Could that have been something that was foremost on his mind as he was remembering this? It's possible. Peter, on the other hand, he says this. Peter says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Notice his wording. He says we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. What else were they eyewitnesses of that he could have put down? He could have put down we were eyewitnesses of his miracles. We saw him feed 5,000. We saw him do all this. We were eyewitnesses of his miracles. We were eyewitnesses of his power over, over nature. We were eyewitnesses of, of him raising the dead. But he didn't put that. He didn't say we were eyewitnesses of his compassion and his love for people. He says we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They say, well, Peter, let's clarify that a little bit. What really are you talking about? I'm glad he goes on. Because he goes on um, to say, uh, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So Jesus picked these men because they would be reliable witnesses. And both John and uh, Peter both testify in their, in their um, writings about this event. And fourthly, um, the reason that he picked these three, I think, is to keep it a secret until after his death and his resurrection. The more people you tell, the more uh, chances you have for it to be exposed or to be spread. Right? If, this, if, he, if he did this to 500, the word would have gotten through all out through Judea or, or Galilee and Judea. The would word would have spread. Right before this, Jesus had, had fed 5,000. And right after that, the, the crowd wanted to take him by force and make him king. And so here he just shows to, to the three because with the three, there's more chance of it being kept a secret. And Jesus didn't want it revealed until after his death and resurrection. And so we see the invitation put out to just the three. And, uh, and we're okay with that. And so were the, uh, must, the other disciples must have been okay with it too. Of course, they didn't have a choice. Um, but that's the way it is. So we see the invitation. Then we see the incarnation. There we go. The incarnation. Um, as Jesus hold back the robe of flesh and, and the glory and the deity that, that, it was, that he was comes out. He wasn't just a man, but he was also God. And that is revealed. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, we have the opportunity to see the Lord Jesus in his glory. Uh, the, John um, gets a vision of of the Lord Jesus. And if you want to turn to Revelation chapter 1, we have a few verses to read there. Revelation 1, 
verses 12 and following, we get a good picture of what the Lord Jesus looks like. Have you ever tried to kind of picture what Jesus looks like when we, we die, we go to glory, we go to be with him, what, what we're going to see, what he's going to look like? Have you ever tried to do that? I think we all have. Um, and so uh, if you want to know what it's going to look like, it's probably going to look like this. This is what John saw. John, in Revelation chapter 1, and verses 12 and following, it says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, white wool, like snow. Not hard for us to picture the whiteness of that with the snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet like burning bronze, refined in the fire, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls or to a powerful waterfall, you know, when you're standing right next to somebody, you can't hardly hear them, and, and you're yelling and shouting, this is like his voice is like that. Um, he goes on, uh, in his right hand he held the seven stars, from, and from his mouth came a sharp sword, double-edged sword, um, and his face was like this sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, what did he do? Did he high-five him? Like, dude, you are so cool. Is that what he did? We have preachers today that talk about Jesus coming visiting them when they're shaving and stuff like that, and, and they, they speak so casually of seeing the Lord. And uh, I'd venture to guess that they probably didn't see the Lord. Um, but he says here, when I saw him, I fell on my feet, or I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and Hades. When John, the apostle, saw the Lord Jesus in his glory, he fell at his feet and worshipped him. Back to Luke. We see Jesus here. Uh, we see the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that with him was Moses and Elijah. You think, why Moses and Elijah? Why not someone else? Well, Moses then would represent the, the law. He represents um, the, he, as the great lawgiver. It was through Moses the law came uh, to Israel, and so he would represent the law. Elijah would then represent um, the, the, um, the law. He was the great law defender. He was the prophet. And so between the two of them, they represent the law and the prophets. And so remember Jesus, uh, when, when uh, they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? He said, to love the, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two hang all of the law and the prophets. You see, it was really important for Israel. And so Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And so it was really, really important for them. Um, it's amazing that in the, in the middle of this, they began to get sleepy. And I, I kind of think that what happened was, and this is, I'm just a practical guy, so I try to work this out in my mind. How did this really play out? So here's how it played out. Jesus hiked these guys up a high hill, right? 
And I don't know what kind of shape they were in. They were commercial fishermen, so they were probably in pretty good shape. And they walked everywhere they went. So they hike up onto a hill, and they begin to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but after you exert yourself physically, and after your heart kind of slows back down, to go to prayer would be difficult, wouldn't it? What's the natural, what's, what's going to happen in your body? I w- are there any doctors here? They'd probably tell us immediately you're going to start to relax, and as you relax, you know, you're going to, anyway. So they, no doubt, they probably started falling asleep as they, as they began to pray. Any of you fall asleep during prayer? I, of course, never fall asleep during prayer, <laughs> especially when my wife is praying with us, you know, when, right before bed, and I never do that. Um, <clears throat> um, okay, yes, I do. And so I think we all have, and so we understand where the apostles are. So before we get too critical of the apostles, let's remember we've all been there, okay? And so they start falling asleep, and then at this point, Moses and Elijah show up, and the Shekinah glory of God is shining, and they wake up, and they're like, whoa, you know? I mean, can you imagine waking up to that sight? It would have been amazing. And so they wake up, and so then we we see the idea um, here. We see the idea Peter is, is seeing all this transpire and, and seeing what's going on. And, 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 we see the, and he has this great, brilliant idea because he sees that Moses and Elijah are about to leave. And this moment is about to end. And he's like, I don't want this moment to end. So he has an idea and he speaks up. You know, whether he's right or wrong or whatever he says, you've got to admire Peter for at least speaking up. You know, he doesn't hold back. And he, he, he wears everything out in the open. And you, you always know where you stand with Peter and what's going on in his mind. And so this, he just said, hey, let's build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I often wonder how they knew it was Moses and Elijah. Did they have name tags? They have a little something on How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? I don't know. Text doesn't tell us, so we can't really tell. So he asked, well, why would Peter do that? Well, he didn't want the moment to end. I think we would all be there. I think we would all want, not want the moment to end. But, you know, Peter's not the only one to not really walk in the plan of God, is he? Because, see, what they were discussing, and we don't know if the disciples could hear what they were discussing, but what they were discussing was Jesus' departure. They were talking about his death. They were talking about when he goes to Jerusalem and when he's going to be betrayed and when he's going to be crucified and how he was going to um, be put in the tomb and all that. They were discussing that. Jesus wasn't asking the Moses and Elijah, "Hey, how are the angels doing? You know, how's the things going? How's things going on up there? You know, are the stars okay? Is everything going universe-wise? You know." Is, is so-and-so keeping up on the cleaning of Saturn's rings? You know, I don't know. The doubt they were talking about that sort of stuff. But they were talking about his departure. They were talking about that. But, you know, Peter, Peter had already been told that Jesus was going to go to the cross. He's already been told about that, but he didn't believe it. And so here, he hears it again, and he's still not on the plan with God. But, you know, he's not the only one. Abraham wasn't really on board with God's plan, was he? That's how Ishmael came into existence. Josiah, the great uh, king of Israel, wasn't really, or Judah, wasn't really on board with God's plan when the prophet told him, don't go, don't go to battle. And he's like, I'm going to go to battle. And he was killed in battle. 
Ananias and Sapphira really weren't on board with God's plan for the church, were they? God took them out. And so there's others in Scripture that weren't on, plan, on, on board with God's plan. And so we see the incarnation, but we also see the identification. And this is great. Then the voice from heaven comes out and says, this is my son, right? What is it? Where's the verse? Verse 30, I can't read my own notes. 34. Verse 34. And saying, and clouds overshadowed them. The voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Pretty cool. This is my son, my chosen one. And so, in, in this, this is a voice of uh, the word of identification here. Moses and Elijah are leaving. Peter's wanting to build a, a tabernacle for each of them. And a voice comes. And can you imagine just, I want you to picture that being on the mountain, you see in this. They're leaving, Peter speaks up, and then all of a sudden this cloud comes and overshadows them. And it says that they were frightened. I would be too. And a voice comes out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. So in this, in what Jesus, and what God the Father says here, he says four things. First of all, he gives a word of ancestry. He says, this is my son. This is my son. I have three sons, and I can introduce them to people as my son. This is my son. This is my boy, my boy, right? This is my son. Why? Because he's, he's from me. And God the Father comes and introduces to the disciples once again, this is my son. Peter's already confessed, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, right? But here, God the Father speaks and says, this is my son. But he just he doesn't leave it there. He gives a word of affection. He says, this is my son, my chosen one, my beloved, in some, some translations, my beloved son. No doubt the father loves the son. It's interesting that God the father includes this. We wonder, did Jesus need to hear this again? I think so. Here's what I want to challenge you fathers. Have you told your son lately that you love him? You say, well, my boy's growing up. He's 30 years old. You know what? He still needs to hear it. Boys need to know that their father loves them and they're proud of them. I was 46 years old before my dad told me that he loved me. 46 before my dad said, I love you. Before that, I always grew up wondering, you know, is he proud of me? Does he love me? Am I doing okay? But, but he never had that affirmation. I used to play a game with my kids. I used to ask them, does Daddy love you? And they'd say, well, yeah. And I'd say, why does Daddy love you? Is it because your hair is brown? He's like, no. Is it because your eyes are brown? That must be it. Your eyes are brown. That's why Dad loves you. And they're like, no. And I'd say, why does Daddy love you? And they would say, because I'm your son or I'm your daughter. And I said, is that it? Yep, that's it. That's all that it needed to take. I love my children because they're my children. They didn't do anything to earn it or anything like that. Dads, we need to be loving our children. We need to be holding them. I don't care how old they are. I hug my adult children. They cringe a little bit, but I hug them. I kiss them, you know. But they need that. Your, your young men in, in high school, they need that. Even if it's embarrassing to them, they need it. There's a word of affection. But it was also a word of affirmation. 
whom I have chosen. In other words, Jesus had an occupation. He had a, a, a reason for being there. He was chosen. Peter tells us it was from the foundation of the earth that he was chosen. He wasn't just there uh, by chance. He wasn't just there uh, just living out life. But he was chosen. He had a purpose. And he wasn't an accident. Boy, we, our kids should never get the impression that they are an accident. He moves on. He says uh, a word of authority. He says, listen to him. This word listen means to hear with the ear of the mind. In other words, don't just listen with your ears, but listen with your mind, right? I'm sure you've never had a discussion with your wife, husbands, like when she says, well, I told you that. Didn't you hear me? Now, we may have physically heard her saying something, but we didn't really hear with the mind, did we? You know what I'm talking about. You know? And so that's what he's saying to them. Now, why would it be important for God the Father to tell the disciples to listen to him? It's because they didn't get it. He's already told them a couple of times that he's on his way to Jerusalem and he's going to be crucified. He is the Christ, and what that means is, I'm going to the cross. Being the Christ means I'm, I'm going to the cross and then to the grave and I'd be resurrected. That's the plan. And God the Father is saying, listen to the plan. Don't come in with your own agenda. And don't we always seem to always come in with our own agenda, don't we? Till God kind of straightens us out. I don't know what the Lord Jesus would say to you today. Maybe he's telling you to serve somehow. Maybe he's saying, I want you involved. I want you to teach Sunday school. Or I want you involved in missions. Or I want you um, some other way to, to serve in some way. And, and the, the encouragement I have for you today is listen to him. Don't listen to the voice that says, well, I'm not qualified to do that. Listen, if anybody's not qualified to be right here, right now, it's me. Okay? None of us are qualified to serve. None of us are qualified. What qualifies us is who we are in Christ. In and of ourselves, we're not. So maybe the Lord Jesus is calling you to serve. Maybe he's saying to you, listen, this bitterness or this anger you've had towards someone, you need to forgive them. And you're saying, yeah, but they haven't, they haven't asked for forgiveness. They haven't repented. They're not sorry they hurt me. It doesn't matter. The Lord Jesus is saying you need to let go of that. Forgiveness is really just the um, giving up your right to punish. And you give it over to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, you deal with it. He's hurt me. You know that. I'm going to let you deal with it. I am not hanging on to this anymore. Maybe God is calling you. Jesus is telling you to forgive someone. Maybe Jesus is telling you that there's some things here on earth that are a little too close to you, and he wants you to let them go. I don't know what the Lord Jesus would tell you in your devotional time or whatever it is. My encouragement is, if the Lord reveals something to you, if he's speaking to you about something, let me encourage you like he did the apostles, the disciples, listen to him. Listen with your mind and obey. And so is a word of identification. It's a word of ancestry and affection and of affirmation and authority. Well, the last thing we see here is a, it's a word of instruction. We find that in Matthew's account, he goes and tells them, hey, don't tell anybody. I, can you imagine the discussion with the apostles when they got back from the mountain? 
Can you imagine the discussion? Hey, how'd it go up there? Good. Anything special? Nope. Can you imagine how hard it would have been to tell, you know, just to keep that a secret? Can you imagine how hard it would be as they had discussions, they had arguments as to who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, and how hard it would have been for Peter and John and James to say, well, obviously we're going to be the greatest in the kingdom because we saw this, right? But they couldn't because Jesus told them to keep it a secret. What's interesting today is how many Christians today keep the gospel a secret. We're not told to keep it a secret anymore. We can let it out. It's okay. You can tell people. Right? So let's tell people. Let's tell them of the greatest news there is. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God, through his grace, raised us up again, brought us out of the grave, out of the pit. What a great message we have, and we can share that with others. This is a great experience for the apostles. But let me tell you that our Christian life isn't built on experiences. The strength of our Christian life is built on, on who we are in Christ and our application of his word in our lives. It's not about experiences, not about these great things that happen. These things happen, but it's not about that. It's about who we are in Christ. You know, this week, and I think there was, some, there was a, basketball, a couple of basketball games, college, Final Four, something about that. And I think, is it Monday night is the finals? Is that Monday night? At the end of that game, there's going to be one team that rises victorious, and they're going to bask in the glory of this world. It's going to be short-lived, though, won't it? The glory of God goes on for eternity. Let's pray together. Lord, um, this morning as we look at your glory, I pray that you have challenged us from your word as we looked at this. Lord, I pray that you would um, whatever it is we, we need to let go of, whatever it is we need to get over, Lord, I pray that you, we would listen to you this morning, that we would hear you as you speak to us. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word and uh, for all the applications that we can uh, derive from this. We just pray that you would um, speak your word to our hearts somehow this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to share truth Lord, we want to see your glory, and someday we will. Thank you, Lord, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.